Hello everyone, welcome back to All Good in the Brotherhood. Uh, today we are joined uh, by Dr. Michael Crom. He's a professor and head of philosophy at St. Vincent, uh, where I am a monk, but as I've said before, I also work campus ministry and I'm a seminarian, so uh, actually in the past uh, I've had class with Dr. Crom. Uh, it was Thomistic Philosophy, uh, which was a great class. Uh, so welcome, Dr. Crom. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. Um, so just to start off, Dr. Crom, what brought you to St. Vincent to teach? And was philosophy kind of something you always wanted to teach or why uh, philosophy and why St. Vincent? Okay, so I'll start with philosophy. I was a chemistry major in okay. college, so we share a science background, <laughs> okay, yeah. and uh, discovered uh, philosophy in a core curriculum mm -hmm. in St. Mary's College in California, and uh, it was my second philosophy class. The first one I could not make sense of, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I was a okay. you know a very literal scientific person and yeah. had a hard time with the open-ended uh, wisdom kind of seeking of a philosophy class, and uh but once I was hooked, I was I was all in, and uh, so uh, so got interested in philosophy and continued on through the PhD. And uh, when I applied for jobs, one of the things that if any of you are any of people who might be called to academic life, you have to realize is uh, the chances that your job will be anywhere near where you grew mm -hmm. up are are not very high. So I'm from the West Coast, and. The nearest uh, job interview I got was outside of Chicago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I'd uh, never heard of St. Vincent College when I came and um, was, uh, this was in 2007. Okay, it was yeah. Groundhog Day, actually, oh, when I interviewed. Nice. So I had seen the movie Groundhog Day. Well, and, how fitting. <laughs> yeah. So I felt right at home. Yeah. And, uh, but what really struck me was the hospitality from, mm -hmm. uh, not just from the faculty and the monks, but from the students. And uh, that was, it was genuine and, and sincere and I uh, greatly appreciated that. And when I had job offers, I had other job offers. My wife had never been here, but she said that it was really noticeable that there was something about the way I talked about St. Vincent, mm. that it was a special place. And uh, and certainly felt like, and still do, why haven't people heard of St. Vincent? Sure, yeah. And they really should, because it's a, we have a unique role, I think, in the church in America. What how can you speak into that? Like what kind of role you see St. Vincent, especially uh, as you know we've talked about before, and um, my my brother Nate, you know, who's usually on with me, goes to Thomas Aquinas, which has a much stronger reputation for being you know very Catholic and Orthodox, and uh, it makes you know the Newman list of colleges, and uh, even though it's it's a very small college, you know, only four hundred kids, and it's not been around for nearly as long as St. Vincent's, maybe a third of the time. Uh, I mention it to almost everyone, and people have heard it. And I've been shocked at both some of the, sometimes the random people who know about St. Vincent, but then sometimes the people who I would absolutely assume should know, and they're like, oh, I've never heard of it. Um, so, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so actually, St. Mary's College, where I went, was uh, the school that led to Thomas Aquinas College. It was uh, faculty okay. at a time when so many Catholic colleges in the 70s and the 80s were abandoning their Catholic identity or weakening it in various ways that faculty from my college then went off to form Thomas Aquinas College as an intentional, you know, mm -hmm. a Catholic school that was going to go against that, that unfortunate okay. trend. Yeah. And so I've known about it from the beginning uh, of, you know, when I was in, in college in that unique great books curriculum yeah, they have. Yeah. And uh, I have tremendous respect for it and have, you know, friends who, uh, who've gone there. And, um, but one of the things for me personally, I wasn't raised Catholic. Uh, and okay. uh, so when I went to St. Mary's College, 
it was yeah, for not particularly good reasons. You know, mm. it was just, well, it was small classes yep. and I liked the, the campus. It was in the San Francisco Bay Area and that was attractive to, sure. um, sm- you know, again, small college, all of those things. But I didn't know anything about Catholicism mm. or even really much about Christianity. And uh, so one of the things that St. Mary's offered to me was that uh, you had to take courses in, in uh, Catholic history of the church and yeah, yeah. Uh, great theologians and philosophers. And in a way that gave me some real freedom to explore, uh, to eventually come into the church. And mm-hmm. I think that's what St. Vincent offers is that it's not that full immersion experience you're yeah. going to get at uh, Thomas Aquinas College or Christendom or sure. Steubenville. Um, but as a result, people who aren't Catholic who come here for the variety of reasons God might mm-hmm. attract them here uh, are given an opportunity if they're if they're open, if they're willing to listen, uh, to set aside their preconceived notions about the church, to um, to enter into the enter into the mystery and yeah. to, and to yeah. enter into um, a, com- a vibrant community uh, rooted in uh, fidelity to the magisterium, to uh, this unique Benedictine. Uh, tradition of Orat Labora, mm-hmm. and uh, that's uh, that is a unique offering. Uh, but families who come here and who are coming from, uh, say, homeschooling or a classical sure. community, yeah. need to be aware of that. That that presents unique challenges and and opportunities. If you see that see that that way, uh, to to be a witness to the gospel, to people who've who've not heard that, or mm-hmm. who who might take a lot of pa- it take a lot of patience to help them to. Uh, to get past those ideas that they've had about the church. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's a unique role, I think, that a place like St. Vincent has. And uh, I think uh, more people need to know about that and, and to, to ask themselves if, they, if they're called to that. And uh, one more thing I'll say, say on that sure. is yeah, uh, yeah. yesterday in the uh, listening seminar, which all students take, we read uh, Boniface Wimmer's letter to clerical students. So our founder, Boniface Wimmer, uh, in 1846, he was a professor in, in Munich and uh, thought God was calling him to come to the wilderness of America mm-hmm. to evangelize and to help the German community. Uh, imagine having this wild-eyed monk professor <laughs> who tells you when you're 18 years old, I am going. I don't have much of a plan. I've got yeah. some letters from some people welcoming there. I don't know what it's going to be like when we get there. It's all hearsay. Uh, but do you want to join me? Do you mm. feel called? And so when we read that, it's really inspiring to, to say that uh, that this this is the question that we're asking of our students who, who may be interested in St. Vincent is, do you think you're called to be in this kind of community where you're going to be uh, have a lot of support from campus ministry, from uh, from an incredible and very large Benedictine community yes, yeah. and uh, faculty and, and students who are going to build you up, but called to this kind of uh, evangelizing role. And uh, that's a that's something that, uh, that we're, I'm excited to, to welcome students for that reason. Yeah, and I can I can attest personally, having gone here for my undergraduate uh, there is a heart of mission that is really ingrained in the school, whether it's uh, mission outside of the college, you know, after you graduate or leave, but certainly a, like an idea of mission here to one another. Um, and I was very involved in campus ministry before I became a monk, and now that I work there, um, that's something I'm very consciously aware of. And this year, you know, our incoming class, we now have, like I think, the first time more non-religious or non-Catholic students than Catholic students. Um, which, you know, some people have commented like, oh, wow, that's a really bad trend or, uh, you know, what's that going to change about the college? And I said, well, if you look at the students who really are active, 
like what great examples then these new people have coming in that it's not kind of the everyday lukewarm Christians or Catholics just sitting around. It's these are ones who are on fire and they're they want to evangelize and they want to uh, go on mission for their brothers and sisters, their peers. Um, and Nate, my brother, will comment, you know, at TAC, because everyone's Catholic and everyone knows, he said, there's there's not actually like a communal spirituality. There's not a communal practice. There's no campus ministry right. on his campus. And everyone just kind of goes to mass and does their own thing. He said, that's cool in a sense because, you know, everyone is doing it together. He said, but at the same time, the accountability or if someone kind of is uh, starts stepping away maybe or starts questioning stuff, people don't go ask or people don't go out to help them. It's kind of like, oh, well, you're choosing something else. Like, good, well, good for you. Try it, you know, whatever. Whereas here, that's that's not something I've ever experienced. Um, sure, I've gotten pushback at times or people are like, oh, you're, you know, you're being, you know, too close-minded or you know, whatever. But um, I've seen more support in reaching out to students. Um, but that has to be something, you're, like you said, you're aware of coming in, is that you're not going to be put into maybe the Catholic bubble you would think you're going to be put into. Um, especially even with the idea of, oh, there's a monastery here. Like that'll probably, for me, I know that was my thing. Like, oh, there's a monastery there. That means this place has got to be so much, you know, more through and through uh, than I thought. Um, but I think what's really good is it's here if you want it. it. And you have to make the decision. You have to take advantage of it. Um, it's not going to be force fed to you. Um, it's not going to be dropped in your lap. But as we're called to make intentional decisions of discipleship ourselves. I think St. Vincent offers a really good place to do that. Yeah, and I was, I was thinking about this with daily mass, that I go to the 12 o'clock and uh, I don't go to the, uh, I think it's at 5 o'clock, there's, there's another one for, yeah. this, for the students. So mm-hmm. I don't know how many students go to the 5 o'clock. There's also, of course, the monks mass in the early morning. So there are a variety of daily masses here. But it's true that you go to the noon mass and, and uh, it's, I love the noon mass here. Uh, but you always think, I wish there were more people. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's there's no doubt that you're saying, I wish more people were, were coming to New Mass. But on the other hand, I did think, yeah, but I know that everyone who's here is uh, have chosen to be here. Mm-hmm. That it's not because of peer pressure. It's not uh, it's not because they feel forced in some way. It's that they have freely chosen to to come to to come to weekday mass. And uh, I do think that one thing that we are good at is pursuing the the truth. Uh, in freedom, you know, that mm-hmm. we're, we're offering the truth, we're offering the fullness of truth to students and, and frankly, to administrators and staff and, and, and faculty uh, as well and to visitors. And um, when you, when nobody can say they're being forced, yeah. uh, then there is, a, there is an opportunity for people to finally say, okay, I, it, I admit it that I chose to come to this Catholic mm-hmm. school. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when I'm asked then to learn about the rule of St. Benedict, to, to read scripture, to read Plato and Aristotle and Augustine Aquinas, uh, that uh, this was part of a free choice that I made. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think it does take off some of that feeling that young people have that religion is forced upon them mm-hmm. and allow them to say, well, that's clearly not the case. And I'm, I'm one of those people. I, no one forced me to go to a Catholic yeah, college. Yeah. And uh, it took a couple of years for me to eventually really come to know myself and, mm-hmm. and come to realize it's actually me who's the closed-minded one. And I'm the one who's getting these things that I'm hearing that are very reasonable from Catholic friends I've made that I'm not listening to it. And yeah, so it yeah. took me a long time to realize that it's actually um, 
me is the one, that I'm the one who'm holding myself back from from hearing things and that that was that really surprised me because I, I really did just have this idea that religious people are close-minded mm-hmm. they're narrow they impose themselves they force themselves and when I realized that's that's not true there may be of course people who do that and that's unfortunate and makes it harder but that's not the Catholic Church and that's not uh, the truth that Christ offers freely to, to everybody yeah absolutely Um so in uh, kind of that spirit of Benedictine education, there's some, a program here you're involved with, um, the Benedictine Leadership Studies, the BLS program, um, which kind of helps to maybe concentrate that, like you said, that, that kind of spirit of Benedictine Catholicism that's here in students who really want to take that step and to, to move into that in hope of then leading and guiding their fellow peers or in the future people to have that encounter with truth. Um, so I've been involved with BLS, but how, what what is the program that uh, how I know you didn't start it necessarily, but how did it come to start? What do you what do you guys do, and what's the kind of the goal for this BLS program? So the Benedictine Leadership Studies is a program that forms uh, leaders in Christ uh, among the Saint Vincent community, rooted in the teachings of the Church and in Benedictine spirituality. And, uh, yeah, let me just say a little bit about how it was founded, because I think it is a great story. And then yeah, just talk yeah. about what we do is uh, the program was founded in uh, 10 years ago. So this is actually our 11th year. It was in okay. 2013 uh, that it was started by Mark Abramovic, who was uh, who had retired as a CFO in the energy industry mm-hmm. and was very successful in the work world and did a lot of leadership programs. He comes to St. Vincent. Uh, he wasn't Catholic. And, okay. um was didn't have I think a background in Benedictine. I think this was all new to him, and he uh, when he read the rule of Saint Benedict, he said, "This is exactly what we need. Hmm. This is what leaders need. This is what the corporate world needs." And so he saw that here's this 1500 year rule that has uh, been helping men and women form communities uh, of building each other up, of pursuing the common yeah. good. And so he wanted to form a leadership program that was not that standard corporate model. Okay. Uh, so I'm uh, not in the corporate world, yeah, right. obviously, but I understand you get subjected to a lot of these sorts of, sorts yeah. of things <laughs> and that they're, they're very short-lived and they may inspire people uh, momentarily, but they're often very social science uh, rooted, very secular. And so he wanted this to be different. He wanted a program that was going to be Benedictine, Catholic, and liberal arts uh, rooted formation of, uh, of character. And so I took over the program uh, about five years ago. And uh, so what, what we do is we, you know, when you apply to St. Vincent, if you get in, uh, students have an opportunity to apply mm-hmm. for the program. Uh, that the BLS students throughout their four years will take courses in common. We're really focused on forming a community yeah, of, yeah. of students who are, who are rooted in love of God and neighbor as self and the unique uh, charisms of Benedictine spirituality. And so in, different to the, in, in addition to the courses, they do things like, uh, you know, go to talks, go to mm-hmm. conferences, go on mission. We're going to Senegal to Kormusa Abbey this, uh, yeah, uh, this awesome. Christmas. Really excited about, about that. And uh, the students at the end of their four years, they their spring break capstone is to go to Rome. And that, mm. that's a phenomenal experience. And I'm saying this especially for, for the parents out there that there is a $1,500 a year scholarship that all the students get. 
and the Rome Spring Break trip is uh, is free. Hmm. Uh, wow. So let me say that again. That is a free <laughs> trip to Rome during Spring Break. Can't pass that year. up. Yeah, which which is tremendous. That that the donors that we've been able to attract because they see uh, what uh, the, the what what we're doing as informing students rooted in our in our mission. And having worked with Dr. Crom in some uh, capacity with the BLS students, um, especially with the freshmen this last year, and I've, we've talked I've talked with Sophie and Nate, we talked about the strength finders, uh, that that's something that you've employed with kind of pairing it very nicely with, um, I think, Benedictine spirituality and the rule of forming them to know who they are. Now, that's really important uh, for, I mean, most of the, the great uh Saints and authorities on religious life and the spiritual life say that you first must come to know yourself, um, right. and then you can come to accept yourself, and finally then move to give yourself. And a, a leader who you don't really feel like is giving all of themselves or their their mission or their heart is not in their work because they cannot give who they are is not one you're going to want to follow. Or even if you have to follow them, uh, you probably don't out of any sense of love or loyalty, but simply out of a sense of kind of duty. Um, so I think pairing the strength finders with this idea of Benedictine leadership has been, is very valuable for them. And uh, I've, I really appreciate um, then having a platform to also talk about how vocation and strength come together. Um, because certainly strength finders is used by, like you said, corporate America or, you know, by a lot of marketing or business models to kind of see like, okay, how can we put this person in this place to be most effective? But rather flipping it is how has God given you these strengths to be most effective for his church? Um, and seeing that, that dialogue that can already occur now with, you know, just freshmen in college and they have four years to form these ideas and to come to know themselves so that uh, as Father Barnes often would tell me that you become the man or the woman you're going to be for the rest of your life in your four years in college. Um, not, you know, then some people might have conversion changes of lifestyle, but probably what they come to believe or to know about themselves is probably most solidly rooted in their four years of college experience. So being able to take uh, these classes or, or this leadership studies program as a way to integrate uh, all of these things into, into themselves, I think is, is super valuable. I agree. And, and it's funny listening to your uh, podcast with Sophie uh, that uh, I certainly like her. I remember when I was first exposed to things like the Briggs-Meyer or, or mm -hmm. any of these tests, I always just, my response was, no, nope, you can't put me in a category. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. a unique person. And, uh, or I think really a kind of prideful that I know more about myself than this thing could ever show me what could, you know, and then doing them and particularly StrengthsFinder and, Realizing that, huh, it's interesting that uh, both myself and, and friends I have who are also professors uh, or intellectuals that mm, it's interesting that StrengthsFinder does yeah. find out these <laughs> things about ourselves. And and in my case in particular, one thing I, I, I uh, learned from that was that I don't particularly enjoy strategy. Hmm. Uh, so strategy games and strategic aspects of life, I don't particularly enjoy doing that. It's not a strength that I have. Uh, I admire people who have it, but that my intellectual strengths are those of a philosopher, contemplative ones mm -hmm. and, and uh, pursuing wisdom and, and stillness, ones that would be more in the heart of the Benedictine yeah. spiritual tradition as well. And I realized that's an important distinction mm -hmm. that I, I hadn't really thought of before. And uh, so that, I thought that was really helpful. Positive psychology, which you yes. two talked about yep. as well. And I have a friend uh uh, who who is a psychologist who who takes that approach and I immediately said yeah that's 
That's right. And uh, in terms of what people need and uh, uh, when people talk about self-esteem issues today mm-hmm. is that I think what it what it's so good at is taking that there can be a problematic view of self-esteem that yeah. can be a kind of individualistic that I'm uh, kind of my own island, as it were, or um, even a kind of prideful view that doesn't acknowledge that God is the giver of all the gifts that we have. But if you root it in both the recognition that all these talents and strengths I have are gifts from God, that humility doesn't mean thinking I'm pathetic and that I'm nothing. Right. It means rightly knowing the gifts that I have and showing gratitude to God by using them well. And then also directing that to community. Mm. And this is where the Benedictine uh, spirituality, I think, really shines in in a modern world where people so badly need uh, thicker community lives, is recognizing that the gifts and the talents you have uh, are are there to build up a community, yeah. and they also help you to find your place in in, in that community. Mm. And that that part right there really helped me in seeing why I want the students to to use Strengths Finder and to come to know themselves through that is that it takes a while for even really strong these Catholic students who come in from homeschooling or classical sure. school yeah. or very intentionally uh, um, Orthodox camp backgrounds. They still it takes a while to get them to think themselves as a member of a community. Hmm. They they come in and still think of the what am I going to get out of this? Yeah, yeah. How will I benefit from hmm. this? It'll be on my resume. It'll right. be something that'll help me in my vocation. It takes them uh, a while to really see that your vocation is about loving and serving this community. Hmm. This is your community, and you need to find your place in it. And part of that is by acknowledging you have strengths that I don't have. Right. Yeah. I have strengths that you don't have. And if I try to do the thing that you should be doing and vice versa, uh, we're going we're gonna to harm the whole community. And, I, and that really was, that was an insight that, that when, I, when I made that connection after that initial resistance, yeah, I don't yeah. really know if I want to do this. Why don't we just read the rule and read yeah. Gregory the Great mm-hmm. and, uh, and go to the office? Why do we need this other thing? I, I said, yeah, that's, that's it. And I'm seeing the fruits in our, in our students, even the ones who resist it <laughs> sure, for the yeah. reasons that I did. Yeah. And I feel very weird imposing it on them <laughs> when I know what you mean. I want to say, I know what you mean, right? So... Yeah, no, that's that's great. I've never really thought about how your strikes really only make sense in the context of a community. Uh, if you have just strengths simply for yourself, some of them might you know benefit yourself. But if you don't have people to uh, incorporate them in with and receive their strengths towards the ones where you're not good, uh, then it kind of lacks as much power and purpose that they could have. Um, so that, and then you also mentioned humility. Um, and coming to understand, okay, well, you know, you're good here, and I recognize that, and I'm not good here. Both of those things, I think, you tie very, very well with Benedictine spirituality, right? It's, humility is the the central and the longest chapter in the rule, uh, and he talks about the the twelve steps of where a monk comes from, really kind of a place of self will uh, to the end of recognizing that nothing he has is his own, and that everything he has is from the Lord, and really recognizing his true place. Um, before God. Um, So based on those two things, how do you see the rule as a way to form leaders? What what are some real high points you would say in the rule and St. Benedict that kind of as you were using as a tool to kind of help build up these students to be leaders in their communities, especially communities? Um, Besides community and humility, do you see other points that are beneficial from St. Benedict? 
the first place I'd start is the the first word of of the rule. And uh, so all students take what we call the listening seminar. So mm. anyone who comes to St. Vincent, we have a new core curriculum that we're really excited about that is is firmly rooted in our mission. And uh, the term listening, and why we call it listening, uh, comes from the opening uh, word of the rule. And, and actually, to be a geek here for a second, ascolta, <laughs> the, the Latin word, is an interesting word he, he's using. It's, it's really like listen carefully. It's, hmm. it's, a, it's a powerful word that's not the normal uh, word that you would use in Latin for listen, that it's a word he's intent. He doesn't use it anywhere else in the rule. Okay. The wow. opening word is listen carefully, uh, son, to the words of a father uh, who, who loves you, mm-hmm. right? Who mm-hmm. wants to instruct you. And that I think there's two things there. One is that to start with the recognition that we have all of us gone astray, that we've all turned away, that the the goal of our life, that the reasons we're unhappy or, or the lacks that we find in ourselves, is something we need to take responsibility for. Uh, again, not to hate ourselves mm-hmm. and, and not to not accept ourselves, but to say that uh, I can't blame the world and someone else for uh, for the fact that I am struggling in various ways. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a really important message because I, I think that um, there's a kind of scapegoating that's very prevalent in our culture yeah, to say absolutely. someone else is to blame for the fact that I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that t- taking ownership of who we are, starting from that recognition that I am in need of a savior. I mean, this is just at the heart of the Christian message. But then the other thing there that he... I think helps respond to those students who are not Christian or who are maybe raised Catholic and are kind of struggling against uh, against their faith is this perception that it's all about fear, right? Mm. That that God gives us all these rules or the church yeah. gives us all these rules and you do them just out of fear. And Benedict uh, is really good at showing us that... Um, it's true that, that our fear can be a goad to growth, but the goal is love. Hmm. And that while it may be the case that some sometimes we do things because we're afraid of punishment and, mm-hmm. and eternal punishment, that the fullness of our faith and the fullness of living it out is coming to love. And so in the chapter seven on humility, uh, after he goes through the 12 steps, he ends by saying that the person who's achieved this perfection now does all those things, not out of fear, but out of good habit, out of virtue, and out of, out of love for Christ. And, uh, and when, when students see that that is the goal, and that uh, it is the case that if I said, yeah, you know, just do your homework if you really love wisdom, and just turn in an essay if you just... If you just really love, mm. you know, you know your studies, that probably won't go so well. Yeah. Uh, you yep. know, on that yeah. giving us little things that will say, yeah, I will punish you if yep. you right. don't turn in right. your work. <laughs> you will not graduate. You will not uh, achieve those things. That those things that it is true about us. That mm-hmm. it is it is because of our um, lack of virtue that we mm. have to own up to. That we need the goat of fear. You know, yeah. and coaches need to use this, and and teachers and and parents, and so. When we're in that kind of situation, recognizing that, yeah, it's true that if if my coach, if my teacher, if the if the priest or the monk did not mention things that I'm afraid of, I probably wouldn't stay on the straight and narrow. Um, but the goal is of the rules and of all of this is to live a life of love, and and that's uh, and Benedict provides a method for that, a school for the mm-hmm. Lord's service, yeah, as he exactly. puts it, yep. that helps to guide you gently um, from wherever you are. To wherever, uh, to where you know you need to be, uh, with uh, sometimes with some tough love. Yeah.
And I can kind of personally attest to being a student of that school as, as a monk um, for, cause I, as I have mentioned a couple times, I took solemn vows this past July. Um, and as a novice for my first year and then the, my three years as a simply professed monk, um, going to prayer was at being present at prayer and at meals and at community events uh, was mandatory uh, on by punishment, you know, like if you if you don't if you're not there, right. you know, you're gonna have to maybe do some extra things, or if you want to go and do something with someone at some point, like you won't be allowed to do that now. Um, and there was, you know, a point where, like, especially you know, Father Joe Adams, if you know him, <laughs> yes, <laughs> my novice master, uh, he is very intimidating at times. So I was certainly motivated by fear at times, you know, to be at stuff. I didn't in my heart, I did not want to be there. I kind of wanted my alone time and especially at the end of the day it's like the last thing I want to do is just go sit and smoke and joke with people um, I just I just want to wind down um, but over the course of the four years um, I was actually just talking to a monk the other day about this that I really noticed a change in my own heart that I don't now because I'm solemnly professed the expectation that other people are looking out for me in the same way of like a superior like if you're not there X Y and Z happens the expectation is of course that I'm there but people aren't looking out for me in the same regard. And it's now my responsibility. When I was reflecting on this, I felt a change in my heart that I want to be there because I desire to be there. Um, because I love to be in community and I love to be at prayer with my brothers. And that if something happens that I'm either called away uh, you know, to help with some kind of talk at a parish locally or we have some campus ministry event that runs long and I have to do the office on my own, I see my intentional difference is not there. Uh, that it's... My heart is not in it as, as strongly as when I'm with my community. Um, so I think Benedict does a really good job of, like you said, slowly walking us along uh, from fear to love. Um, and two two really important things I find that Benedict teaches about leadership is one in his chapter about what kind of person the abbot should be. Um, he says at one point that the abbot should lead in such a way that the strong have something to yearn for. Uh, but the weak, nothing to fear, nothing to run from. Um, and I, I really love that idea that um, he really is uh, a strong example of one who, who calls those who are strong and those who have run or been in the school and who have done well uh, to still strive for greater, that there's there's no cap to um, when you, oh, you've reached humility completely, like you don't have to be any more humble than you are, you don't have to be any closer to Christ than you are. But that he also is gentle as the good shepherd, that if someone is weak, that he doesn't say, well, you don't meet the standard, too bad. Uh, it's like, okay, I'll walk with you here. Um, and then in, at another chapter, Benedict talks about how to take care of those who are excommunicated from the community. Or, um, and modern understanding of that is very different. You know, we right. talk, it's kind of we, excommunication being something that someone imposes on you. Benedict really is, it's due to what they have done, that they have excommunicated. They put themselves out of the community by their own actions. And he says, if sending brothers to them to call them doesn't work, or maybe chastising them in some ways doesn't uh, seem to correct their mistakes, he said, then they should do the greatest thing, which is to pray for them. Mm -hmm. um, and that has been really important for me in my own relationship with some people that I've tried to help them where I, in a way I thought was compassionate and they just resist. It's like, okay, well, prayer is ultimately the best thing I can do for them. Um, and while I might not immediately see the results, um, that that is fundamentally the greatest thing. Um, and as a leader sometimes, or just with peers, we might think, oh, me just telling them where they need to change is the best thing because I see it and they don't. Um, but instead gently kind of bringing them along that way. And if they they resist, then 
then pray that the Lord will kind of move in their hearts so that when they're open, then you can also still be with them to, to lead them. Yeah, I'm reminded of, I mean, we haven't talked about obedience is uh, obviously also mm-hmm. central to Benedictine spirituality, and, and it's a tough one. I mean, that's especially in modern American culture where we're very focused on our, our rights, you know, that I have rights, and uh, what rights mean is that I have this immunity from any kind of coercion, and so to be a free person is to uh, to not have to obey, I think yeah. is the way yeah. we tend, tend, mm-hmm. to think, tend to think of it, and so it's so countercultural to encounter uh, the focus on obedience, and then when it comes to difficult things, I think especially during COVID, you can imagine trying to teach the rule of St. Benedict yeah, to, right. to 18 year olds <laughs> and uh, to people who um, uh, have, I think, very reasonable disagreements with various policies that that are um, that were all across the country and all yeah. over the world. Yep. And uh, trying to say that, yes, uh, obedience is really central, even when we disagree. But there are limits to that. Right. Mm-hmm. There are limits to obedience. We can't obey uh, into sin. You know, yeah. that we can't yeah. uh, obey man over God. And how do I know the difference between those two? Uh, that's easy in theory, but in practice. And I think so many of us are aware of that yep. to say, Wow, when when does what when does the limit uh, come in there? And I think that you know, with Benedict, uh, it's uh, toward the end of the rule. I think it's chapter seventy-two. Is it, it's on the good zeal of monks. Yes, yeah, yep. You know that that's a great uh, a great passage where the way that you're going to win people over is. Um, this mutual obedience, you know, mm-hmm. striving to to obey, and to see that uh, you really are putting yourself as a servant to to all, and that this is what it means to imitate Christ, right? So take up the cross, and yep. uh, and um, that is something that is very attractive, I think, for students who do have a calling. They they are aware of they want to do God's will, they want to grow in love, but there's still a lot of the uh, the old man that's that's in there, yeah, that's in yeah. all of us. Yep. And so Benedict makes concession where that's necessary uh, for people. I remind a funny one I'm sure in the monastery is chapter 40 on uh, drinks uh, <laughs> that you know Benedict. And you just think this is funny. We're talking in the 500s. He's saying. Even in the 500s, you know, monks really shouldn't be drinking any wine, you know. <laughs> but because monks have gotten so soft in the last yep. 500 years, you <laughs> know, we, well, yes, okay. And I, I hate to say how much it should be, but uh, okay, how about a hemina of wine? And the question yeah. is, how much is that? Yeah. You know, but there's this, you know, he's, he's, he's saying, look, you really should strive for perfection. But I also want to meet you where you are. Yeah. And there's got to be some standard. We all have to live according to some standard and uh, and strive for that. Uh, and then when he ends the rule with, all right, you really think that you've mastered the rule and you can imagine that pride kicks in, that mm-hmm. I'm really, I'm the living rule. I, yeah, have, right. I have achieved it all. <laughs> and he ends by saying, this is just a rule for beginners. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> if, if you want perfection, you got to read St. Basil. You've got to read, uh, you know, all these great spiritual masters that set the the Far higher than I'm doing. And uh, so I think what Benedict offers for all of us, and especially for college students, is we love to be challenged. We mm-hmm. actually respond much better. We don't want comfort and ease We and entertainment. We want to be challenged to excellence. And Benedict challenges you in a way that says, however far you get and wherever you are, that's good. Don't beat yourself up. Mm-hmm. Push yourself. Um, but whatever gifts God has given you to get to where you've achieved then uh, thank the Lord for that. And that's, 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 I think we all need to hear that right balance of pushing yourself, but not beating yourself yes. up. Yeah. yeah. And as we say in the monastery, as we mentioned, it's a school of the Lord's service. You never 
as a monk, you don't graduate from the school <laughs> right. until you're dead. When you're mm-hmm. buried in the ground, now you've graduated. And so that I think there's there's certainly times in the spiritual life where we see like, oh man, I am not nearly as far as I want to be, um, or I've not excelled as well as I would think I have at this point. And for me, the rule is very comforting in that to be like, okay, yeah, you've gotten to this point, maybe you're not happy, but there's always still room to continue to grow. And so don't regret or not beat yourself up like you're saying about what the past is, but um, continue to be joyful, as St. Paul says, for the things that are to come. Um, So yeah, whether you are listening and you're thinking about coming to college or you're in the middle of college now, or you've graduated 30 some odd years ago, um, there's certainly something about St. Benedict uh, that can be applicable to your life situation right now, whether uh, it's spiritually uh, in incorporating it in maybe your corporate work, um, how to be more community-centered, uh, to take the, the humble uh, state place uh, when you're more prone to self-will and pride or whatever it is. Certainly, I encourage you, and if I didn't, I think I would be uh, <laughs> contradictory to my vocation, but certainly encourage you to pick up the rule. It's very short. Um, and right off the bat, the prologue is, I find, just one of the most spiritually fulfilling things I've ever read. Um, Benedict really just crafts beautifully uh, a call, as you said, to challenge, um, but in a, in a beautiful way, in an in, in a approachable manner. So, um, yeah, thank you, Dr. Crom, for joining today. Um, and if you have any questions uh, about the BLS program or about St. Vincent, uh, feel free to leave a comment or shoot an email, and I can direct it to Dr. Crom. Um, and, yeah, I encourage you to consider how Benedict could play a role in your everyday life. Thanks, Reverend Brother Francisco, and thanks, everyone, for listening. God bless. All right. Adios. Adios.